0: I love teaching this class because it seems like the current events, uh, every time, and I've said this, it's like every week something happens. And uh, this is amazing. So this is happening right now in the Middle East. And this article says, World War III could start this month. 350,000 soldiers in Saudi Arabia stand ready to invade Syria. So this is what the article says. 350,000 soldiers, 20,000 tanks, 2,450 warplanes and 460 military helicopters are massing in northern Saudi Arabia for a military exercise that is being called Northern Thunder. According to the official announcement, forces are being contributed by Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Egypt, Jordan, Bahrain, Sudan, Kuwait, Morocco, Pakistan, Tunisia, Oman, Qatar, Malaysia, and several other nations. This exercise will reportedly last for 18 days, and during that time, the airspace uh, over northern Saudi Arabia will be closed to air traffic. This will be the largest military exercise in the history of the region. And it comes amid rumors that Saudi Arabia and Turkey are preparing for a massive ground invasion of Syria. Uh, if you're going to gather forces for an invasion, this is precisely how you would do it. And so it goes on and talks a little bit about well, a little bit more about what they're doing. But if you remember the Syrian video that we watched and trying to kind of unpack what is going on over there. Uh, these guys, these countries, these 20 uh, uh, countries that are in an alliance want to go in and they want to remove Assad from power. Assad, uh, as president, they want him to, they want to remove him. Uh, now, if you remember, there's all there's basically four factions though in Syria and Assad is only one of them. But who backs Assad? Do you remember that? Russia and Iran and... Uh, also hezbollah so these nations these 20 nations are going to march against Assad, who is backed by russia and iran it's just it's crazy the things that are that are going on so uh, it, you can jump on the internet you can listen to the news every day and it seems like something else is happening uh, fresh well the first week we talked about the signs that are going on in israel ...that point to the, the fact that we're at the end. Uh, we looked then at signs in our culture, signs in technology, and tonight we're going to look at signs in time, looking very specifically at the timeline... And to say that we're in the end times or that we're almost out of time, is, it's mind-boggling to me. And when I, I studied this this time and I started to really look at that whole generation thing as far as when Israel becomes a nation again. And we, we said that, you know, that the end could come any time in the next 12 years. And we made the statement or I made the statement that that means that most of the people in this room will not die. That to me is, it was just mind-boggling because I kind of thought to myself— Who are we that we would be chosen to be able to see this end? That we would be able to see this, all of this prophecy happen. I mean, of all the generations, right? We get to be a part of it. But from the beginning, we have to understand of creation, God allotted the amount of time that we would be on this earth. This is not arbitrary. It has nothing to do with what man has done. It was pre-planned, predestined by the author of time himself. This is not because we are better or worse than any other generation. God has a master calendar and God has a master clock. And we just happen to be the people alive when the time runs out. Now listen to what uh, Peter talks about in Second Peter 3 verses 1 through 9 about the end times. He says, this is my second letter to you, dear friends. And in both of them, I've tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. I want you to remember and understand that the holy prophets said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. First, I want to remind you that in the last days, there will be scoffers who will laugh at the truth and do every evil thing they desire. This will be their argument. Jesus promised to come back, did he? Then where is he? Why, as far as back as anyone can remember, everything has remained exactly the same since the world was first uh, 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 created. So that's what the scoffers will say. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens by the word of his command. And he brought the earth up from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the world with a mighty flood. And God has also commanded that the heavens and the earth will be consumed by fire on the day of judgment when ungodly people will perish. But you must not forget, dear friends, that a day is like a thousand years to the Lord. And a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise to return, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to perish, so he is giving more time for everyone to repent. In this passage, uh, Peter is reminding the readers of what the uh, prophets have said in the Old Testament. He goes into the very specific prophecy that when the end comes, there will be mockers, scoffers, making light of the signs of the end times. They're going to say things like, oh, come on. They've been saying the end of the world is going to come every generation. You know, it's not that, I mean, every time things get bad, people think it's gloom and doom, but then everything turns around. And so so they don't want to listen. Peter then says that they willfully reject the authority of the word of God and the warnings concerning their judgment. They will willfully reject. I don't know about you, but I talk to people a lot that don't know the Lord, or maybe they know the Lord, but they're just running from him right now. And it seems like they don't want to listen to reason. It seems like they don't want to really abide by what scripture says. They don't want to fall under God's authority. They don't want to listen to his advice and his commands and and, and follow him. Instead, they just kind of want to do their own thing and they willfully reject God's word. And this was all prophesied. They have made the decision that they will not listen to the word of God, just like the days of Noah. Then Peter says, remember this one thing. That the Lord to the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. So regarding time, God sees uh, sees a thousand years, and a one uh, one thousand years is a day, and a day is a thousand years. That's very clear in Scripture. If you guys remember back when you were a kid, I remember uh, uh, we would always uh, in class make these little codes. That, so we could write notes to each other in class and the teacher wouldn't know what, they, what, what, what we were saying because we would usually do like a number that would correspond with a letter in the alphabet and then we had to decode it. And so in this, that's kind of what, what God is doing for us. He's giving us a code so that we can understand when the end will come. Psalms 94 says, For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that he has judged gone by or like a watch in the night. Now understand the context of the scripture is the end times. What Peter is saying here is that it is, God is not waiting arbitrarily to come back. God has a plan and a plan of a thousand years is as a day and as a day is a thousand years. God has a calendar and he has been on that calendar since the beginning of time. And he is still on that calendar. This is not a new teaching. This has been taught by Hebrew scholars and rabbis for thousands of years. So, what is God's calendar? Isaiah 46.9 says, Remember for the former things, those of long ago. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is still to come. I make known the end from the beginning. I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. What Jewish rabbis teach is that God revealed the end in Genesis 1. God revealed his calendar, which he counts time on in Genesis, in the beginning. God, no- God does nothing in Scripture until he reveals it first. That's a cool thing about God. Have you ever noticed that? That God will reveal it in Scripture. He reveals things through the prophets before he actually does them. And it is also inter- interesting that the word occult... Or the cult, a cult, means to do things in secret. So you'll see secret societies, you'll see different cults out there, and they want to do things in secret. They want to keep things hidden. But according to God, he wants to do things in the light. He never, he never does things in secret. He wants to bring these things to light, and that is the reason for Bible prophecy, and that is uh, the, so that we will be prepared for those things when they come. Amos three seven says, "Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing His plan to His servants, the prophets." In the Old Testament, God revealed who the Messiah was going to be long before the Messiah ever came. Jesus fulfilled three over three hundred prophecies, specifically to a T. So that people wouldn't miss Jesus when he came. Yet people still miss Jesus when he came. Some didn't, but a lot did. He then gives us all of these prophecies for thus, uh, those of us that live in the New Testament. So we won't miss the second coming of Christ. All those prophecies in the Old Testament. So people wouldn't miss the first coming of Christ. This is all these prophecies are for us so that we won't miss the second coming of Christ. Yet there will still be tons of people that will miss the second coming of Christ. Moses was a prophet of God and he wrote the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible so that we might know what is going on and not to be left in the dark. First Thessalonians 5, 1 through 4 says, now brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are, while, while people are saying peace and safety, Destruction will come on them suddenly and labor pains on a pregnant woman, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Now, did you know in Scripture that every time that the Bible says that Christ comes like a thief in the night, Scripture is talking specifically to unbelievers? not believers. Jesus doesn't come as a thief in the night to us. He doesn't. According to scripture, we, should live, uh, we shouldn't live in darkness so that they shouldn't overtake us like a thief. God, though, has given us this Bible prophecy so that we'll be, we will be prepared when he comes. The goal of this course is that when Jesus comes, we will be able to hold up our heads in preparation for the bridegroom. But let's uncover God's 7,000-year prophetic calendar, shall we? We determined earlier from Scripture that to God a day is a 1,000 years, and a 1,000 years is as a day. The calendar is set on a seven-day week. We all would agree with that. God always counts time and has always counted time in sevens. There were seven days in creation. There are seven sabbatical years in Israel's calendar and still are today. Every seventh year, there were, uh, which basically means that every seventh year, there were, they were to let their land rest so that it could, it could replenish itself for future crops. So they would rest the land every, uh, after the seventh year. Then they had seven of, uh, sevens of years, and the year after that was Jubilee. So they had seven sevens of years. And then the year after that was Jubilee. In the book of Daniel, 490 prophetic years were declared to the nation of Israel. And the angel said, seventy-sevens of years are declared for Israel until the very end comes. It's always sevens. Scholars for many years have taught that the seven days of creation corresponds to the 7,000 years of existence. God has always said there's going to be 6,000 years of human history followed by a thousand year millennium where Christ will reign on earth. This time frame is not arbitrary. In other words, it's not reflective on anything that we've done. It's set by God. At the very beginning, God started this clock and we just happen to be the generation that's alive at the fulfillment of that clock. Let's look then at this form. Uh, Look at this from a few different areas to prove God's plan and the 7,000 year time clock. First, the seven days of creation and how they prophetically parallel each millennium of human history. Now I want to go slow on this part so that you guys can really really take notes and get this, but because it is it is just so cool. The first day of creation parallels the first 1000 years of human history and the most important spiritual event that happened in the, those first 1000 years. The second day of creation parallels the second thousand years of human history and the most important spiritual event that happened in the second thousand years of human history. And the third, and the fourth, and the fifth, and the sixth, and the seventh. Every day of creation is going to parallel every thousand years of the prophetic grid. So let's write this down. Day one of creation. On the first day of creation, the first day of the week, Light was separated from darkness. All you melancholies are so happy that I finally have slowed down so you can take notes. (laughs) On the first day of creation, the first day of the week, light was separated from darkness. In the first millennium, Adam's sins separated him from from God's light. Light and dark were separated spiritually. So on the first day of creation, God created, separated the light and the darkness. What was the most significant event that happened in the first thousand years of human history? Adam and Eve sinned. The spiritual light and the dark were separated. Day two. On the second day, there was a separation from the waters above and below. What happened in the second millennium? It had to do with water. (laughs) In the second millennium, the waters above and below are used in judgment in Noah's flood and then separated again. In other words, the second thousand years of human history, there was a spiritual parallel between the second day of creation. God brought the waters together, flooded the earth, and then separated them again, just like he did the second day of creation. Day three. On the third day, plants yielding seed were created and filled the world with life. And in the third millennium, a promise was made to Abraham that through his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That was the most significant event in the third millennium. Number four, day four, on the fourth day, the lights in heaven were created. In the, In the fourth millennium, prophets were given as lights to Israel, and Jesus came as the light of the world. In the fourth millennium, prophets were given as lights to Israel, and Jesus came as the light of the world. Day five, on the fifth day, living creatures were created. The fifth millennium, Jesus died that we might become new creatures inheriting eternal life. The fifth millennium, Jesus died that we might become new creatures inheriting eternal life. Day six, on the sixth day, which represents the millennium that we're living in right now, man was created and was told to fill the earth and subdue it. And that's exactly what has happened. This sixth millennium, the one we're living in, man has filled the earth and subdued it. What God commanded Adam and Eve to do in Genesis 1, we have done in this last thousand years. Day 7. On the seventh day, God what? Rested. In the seventh millennium, the earth will be restored and mankind will rest as Jesus rules for a thousand years. In the seventh millennium, the earth will be restored and mankind will rest as Jesus rules for a thousand years. Do you really think that God needed seven days to create the heavens and the earth? Do you think that he needed that seventh day to rest? Do you think he got to day seven and was just like, oh, man. Killing me. I got I to gotta rest. No. God could have created the earth like that. He didn't need a seventh day to rest. He did this for us. He did this as a sign for us. He did this symbolically for us. So that we can see when the end is coming. So that we can see each century and what that what's, uh, what is going to happen in those centuries. Now, here's the proof, by the way, of the thousand-year reign, that seventh century. And it's in Revelations 20, uh, verses 1 through 6. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short period of time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. So this is speaking of the people that will go through the tribulation, that won't take the mark, and also those that were martyred as a result of standing for God. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. And these are probably some questions that we're going to want to answer that that last week because i won 't have time to go into this a lot tonight. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God. And of Christ, and will reign with him for a thousand years. Now, we know without question the last thousand years of human history is the millennial rule of Jesus Christ. And I've said we are living in a pre rapture uh, uh, timeline. The next major prophetic event that's going to happen on earth is the rapture. There will then be seven years of tribulation, and while the rest of the world is experiencing judgment, we will be experiencing a seven year wedding celebration with our groom. You get that question. It's like, well, we get raptured up with Jesus. And what are we going to do for seven years? Just like hang out. We're going to have a wedding celebration. So picture the coolest wedding that you've ever been to. The funnest wedding that you have ever been to. I just got to go uh, uh, to a wedding in October. Wasn't that October? And that was like, that was like one of the funnest weddings that I've, I've gotten to go to. But that wedding can't even compare to the wedding that we're going to be a part of when we go into the millennial or when we go up from the tribulation that magnify whatever you can think of as far as a party times infinity. And that's what that celebration is going to look like. Um, a Jewish wedding, by the way, is seven days long. Did you know that? That's so cool. Oh, is that by accident? You think do they really need a party for seven days? No, I'm, I, they, I mean, that's cool though. I, that's awesome. You can read the account of this in Revelations uh, chapter 20 and 21 if you want. But after the wedding party, we return with him in battle. So we're gonna be partying in heaven. Everything's gonna be awesome. And then when, when the battle of Armageddon happens and Jesus' uh, second coming, we will march with him. Jesus will then slay the Antichrist, the false prophet, and cast Satan into the bottomless pit. He binds Satan for a thousand years, And then he sets up his millennial kingdom, which we will rule and reign with him in. And at the end of the thousand years, Satan is loosed and there will be mortals. And this, I know will blow you away, but there's going to be a group of mortals on the earth that lived through the tribulation that get to experience the millennium. And a group of those mortals uh, towards the end of the thousand years will go to Jerusalem and they will try to kill Christ you believe that? Satan is loosed at that time to lead these people against Jesus. Jesus slays all of them and then sets up the great white throne of judgment and judges all the dead from the beginning of time. The heavens and earth are destroyed by fire. This is what Peter is talking about in second Peter chapter three. And then God creates a new heaven and a new earth the new Jerusalem that he creates is going to be a 12,000-mile cube, and that's where we're going to live with Jesus forever. And it's a wonderful thing. And this is what the Bible says is going to happen in human history. Here's another way that we can prove it. By counting the calendar years in in light of the end-time events that are occurring today. So let's look at this. If there are 7,000 years total and we've been around for about 6,000 years, then we should be able to figure out where we are in this timeline. First, let's look at the Gregorian calendar. This is the year 2016 on the Gregorian calendar. That's the calendar that we follow. We have a solar calendar, and Israel has a lunar calendar. How many years then were there before Jesus? Well, thankfully, in Luke chapter 3, there's a genealogy that goes from Jesus' All the way back to Adam. We know exactly how many generations were between Jesus and Adam. Bible scholars say there were 4,000 years in the Old Testament. So 4,000 years before Christ, 2,000 years after Christ equals 6,000. Good job. So we're supposed to be around the year 6,000 according to the Gregorian calendar according to the jewish civil calendar the jews have a civil calendar and then they have a religious calendar this is the year 5775 remember now that they don't uh, have an ad and bc they don't recognize christ as the messiah so they didn't restart the date after jesus's death this would say then that we have 25 more years in their calendar before we reach the year 6000. The only thing about that, though, is that there's a lot of controversy about when that Jewish calendar began. We know historically that there were changes made to it, and a lot of Jews dispute whether 5775 is correct. Most say that it is not. In fact, there, in fact, there is a group uh, called the to- uh, TorahCalendar.com, it's a really cool website. And it's a group of Messianic Jews. Those, that, those are Jews that believe in Christ. They also believe, in the, or they believe that the Jewish civil calendar is correct. They've done exhaustive research to try to figure out what year this is since creation. They believe the 7,000-year calendar of God. So they took Scripture, history, science, astronomy, not astrology, astronomy, and they studied all of these things exhaustively and looked at what the year was. And by the way, you, NASA has a, a lunar activity recorded back thousands of years. So it's recorded. You can, you, can, you can study it. But after all the study, this is what they believe. They believe that the year 6000 ended in March 2015. That's when they believe six, the, the, six, the year 6000 ended. They believe we are living in the year 6001. They also predicted that Jesus would return in September of 2015. So they very much believed that a lot of evidence showed that in uh, September of 2015 with the blood moons and everything, that that's when Jesus was going to re- return. And, and, you know, we're, I just don't believe in setting dates. We're not supposed to. I don't believe we're supposed to set dates because when we do, people stop living their lives. They also get very cynical if the day comes and goes. And then it's like, oh, well, you know, maybe I shouldn't have believed. And, you know, where's my faith? And that's why God says, you know, nobody's going to know the day or the hour. So don't, don't try to figure it out. But they did. Of course, they were wrong. But you can still go on uh, that calendar and, and see uh, that website and see all of their research. And it's actually really, really fascinating. And it's called that TorahCalendar.com. And Torah is spelled T-O-R-A-H if you are wanting wondering. Okay. So we looked at it that way. Here's the third way to prove it. By other prophetic symbols in scripture, Noah and his direct connection to the end, according to Jesus. This is really cool. Luke 17, 26 through 27, just as it was in the days of Noah, right? We we looked at this a few weeks ago. So also, will, will it be in the days of the son of man? People were eating drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. Now, sometimes we we start looking at a, a different um, news, media, or start talking, listening to these financial experts or whatever, and they'll start, you know, trying to predict the downfall of the economy of the United States, or they start trying to predict when, you know, the United States will fall, or this country will, this country will fall, or World War III is going to happen, and all those kind of things, and it, which just stresses us all out. But I know for us, just by reading this scripture, that we don't have to worry about that. Because in this scripture, it says, that, hey, people were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were, <clears throat> it's going to be as the days of Noah. It doesn't say in here that things are going to get really, really bad and, 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 and everybody's lives are going to fall apart. Then the rapture is going to come. The people in Noah's day, everything was very normal. And then the flood came. I believe that for us. Jesus draws, though, a direct parallel from the time of Noah to when, we, when he will come again. Noah lived to be 950 years old, according to Genesis 9.29. 950 years old. When God put Noah on the ark, he had a lot of years to choose from. He, he lived almost a century. So God could have put Noah on the ark at any time. He could have said, yeah, I'm going to put Noah on the ark at 125 years old. I'm going to put Noah on the ark at 235 years old. I'm going to put Noah on the ark at 800 years old. But this is what Genesis 7:6 says. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on earth. Hmm. 600 years. That's a nice little round number. Genesis 7:11 says, In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, The 17th day of the second month. What day is that? That's today. (laughs) Any things you want to button up before you go home tonight? You know, (laughs) you might want to do that. You'll pull some money out of savings and just have a good time tonight. You know, no, I'm not predicting it's going to happen tonight. But on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth. And the floodgates of heavens were open, and rain fell on the earth 40 days and for 40 nights. So that's when it happened. Jesus said it will be as the days of Noah. Out of the 950 years that God had to to put Noah and his family on the ark, he put them on the ark when he was 600 years old. And there will be 6,000 years of human history followed by a 1,000-year millennial reign. And there are a lot of scholars who believe that this is symbolic of the fact that Jesus is returning in the year 6,000 or around the year 6,000. God does everything with a purpose. He does everything where he, where, where he will reveal what he's going to do first. Here's another parallel. This is one of my favorites. Jesus at the wedding of Cana in Galilee. Remember that Isaiah 46 says that God declares the end from the beginning. So this is the first day of Jesus's ministry. The first recorded day. On this day, Mary tells him he's got to create some wine because they're at this party and they've run out. John 2 uh, verse 6 says, Six stone water pots were standing there. They were used for Jewish ceremonial purposes and held 20 to 30 gallons each. Jesus told the servants, Fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled to the brim, he said, dip some out and take it to the master of the ceremonies. So they followed his instructions. When the master of the ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though, of course, the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. He says, usually a host serves the best wine first. He said, then when everyone is full and doesn't care, he brings out the less expensive wines. But you have kept the best until now. This, verse 11, miraculous sign, what the NIV says, the beginning of signs at Cana in Galilee was Jesus' first display of his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So look at this. He's at a family wedding with his mother, and they run out of wine. Mary comes to Jesus and says, we've run out of wine. Jesus says, what do you want me to do? And rather than ask him, again, she just tells him. She then turned to the servants and said, do what he tells you to do. Because you know what? She knew that Jesus could cook up some grocers, right? She knew. Jesus said, fill up the water pots with water. He turns the water to wine. And it's not only wine, but it's good wine. The head of the family drinks it and goes, dang, that's, that's the good stuff. We know this because of his comment. The fact, the fact that they normally do the good wine first and then uh, bring out the bad wine last. But look, let's look at this a little closer. How many water pots did he use? Six. Now, Jesus could do miracles. He could have produced all that wine out of one water pot. He could have chosen to do 10 because that's a nice round number, but he uses six. So at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, what is he doing? What is he doing? He was at a wedding serving heaven's wine. What does Jesus do at the very end of his ministry when he raptures us to be with him? He's at a wedding serving heaven's wine. Matthew 26, 29 says, This is Jesus talking, mark my words. I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Isn't that cool? This is symbolic that when 6,000 years have been filled, we will be at a wedding drinking heaven's wine with Jesus. Now, I'm sure for you Baptists, he'll have some sparkling cider. You know the difference between a Methodist and a Baptist, right? Methodists say hi to, themselves, hi to each other in the liquor store. It'll take you a second. You'll get it. When we say we're living in the end times, we're not just saying that for dramatic flair. When you look at the time, it points to the end. And God sets the 6,000 years from the beginning with a thousand-year millennium. The time is right here. The time is is right now. Let's pray. God, we love you. And we thank you that you love us so much that you would give us signs, signs from the beginning. And we thank you, God, that uh, we get to be a part of this. We get to see your second coming. We We don't have to die. How cool is that? How cool is that, that we get to be a part of this generation? So Lord, we thank you for that. And we thank you that we can uh, study this. And Lord, we thank you for the move of the Spirit that's happening all over the world where this teaching is being taught more now than it ever has been in in the history of Christianity. Because you're trying to send out a message. And the message is, is that this season is now. And we need to be ready And so, Lord, um, we want as many people like you, like your scripture says, to get to go to heaven as possible. And we really want to make sure that those that we love get to go. So I want us to, again, just take a second, Lord, to think of those that we love that don't know you or that are running from you. And let's just lift them up in prayer right now, guys. Just take a second to do that. God, we lift up our family members, our friends, those that we love. And, Lord, we pray that maybe you would give us the influence and the opportunity to be able to talk to them about you. But if not us, God, then someone else. Somebody that can talk some sense into them. Some of them, some study, Lord, God, that can take someone that is a scoffer. That just won't believe the truth. Send somebody in their life, Lord, that will be able to make a dent and bring them to the saving knowledge of you. Soften their hearts. We don't want to see anybody left behind that we love, God. So we give them all to you, and we relinquish control of them to you because you're the only one that can fix them. You're the only one that can bring them back. So Lord, we love you, and um, we pray that you would just continue to protect us and give us your wisdom. Be a lamp unto our feet. Help us to see the signs, Lord, and uh, bind the spirit of fear that we wouldn't be fearful of any of this stuff. Because you're you're protecting us; you have your hand on us, and help us to remember we're really close to going to the best wedding party in history with you as our host. (laughs) with you as our groom. Thank you, God, for that. We love you. We praise you. And uh, bring us back again together this weekend to worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, God bless you. Don't miss next week. If you need some three by five cards, they're back there. Please drop those questions off in the bucket so that we can answer those that final week.